0: I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you ever ever choose to go through pain because, because you believe that the result of that pain will be worth it in the end? Like, why do we diet? Why do we subject ourselves to the frustration and pain and anger of eating rabbit food for our meals? Because we want to be healthy, we want to feel better, and we want to look better. That's why we do it. Why do people get tattoos and piercings? I mean, this weekend is, is youth takeover, and I've seen the students that are involved in worship and hosting and everything else we're doing, and I've been thinking about the choices some of them will make to put holes in and permanent ink on their bodies when they turn 18. And tattoos and piercings are, are painful but those young men and women are going to go through with it because they believe that the pain will be worth it for what the end result will be. I know this firsthand. When I was 20 years old, I was sitting on a beach with my then girlfriend, who's now my wife, Amanda, and she said, hey, let's go get our ears pierced. And I was like, okay, because I thought it would look cool and I was working with youth at the time and I thought they would think I was cool. And so I chose to get plugs in my ears and if you don't know what plugs are, those are the big earrings that look super, super painful. And the guy at the piercing shop, we, we went to the piercing shop, he gets this needle out that's hollow and he took a chunk of skin out of both of my ears and it was the most painful thing I have ever done in my entire life. And now I have these massive holes in both ears that will never close. Like I can take this paper clip and no problem, there's just a paper clip in my ear. This is a thing for me now. I'm sure it'll look great when I'm in my 50s and 60s. They won't droop at all. It'll be awesome. Everyone will think it's great. But I did that because I thought it was worth it. At the time, my present suffering was worth what I believed to be future glory. And because I had some uh, purpose attached to my pain, it made sense to me. Now, what about when we don't choose the suffering, or the pain? When bad things happen that we can't explain or, or don't know the purpose of, what do we ask? What do we, what do we wonder? Why? Why is this? Now, I've been a, a pastor for 14 years. Before that, I was a pastor's kid. I, I guess technically I still am a pastor's kid, but that was what life was growing up. And with so much time in and around the church and folks from the church, I've seen people walk through intense suffering. And just a couple weekends ago, I did a funeral for a 34-year-old man. And I saw how his, his family and friends were suffering and was reminded yet again how painful life can be. And most of the time, when we go through those types of difficulty, people just want to know why. If, if you can just answer some of my why questions, I'll be okay. Give me an answer. Give me purpose. Connect the dots. When we experience something, or when we experience suffering, there is something in me and something in you that screams: there has to be purpose. In this, There has to be an explanation. And this is where it gets even more difficult. When we try to find the, the purpose for our suffering within the context of our life alone. This is why some people eventually run from God. They want context for their suffering and, and, and what it means for their life. And when they, when they don't get it, that's when they run from God because the dots just don't connect. But this is what Paul is is writing to here in in Romans chapter 8. He's trying to connect the dots. If you haven't already, uh, turn your Bibles or Bible apps to Romans chapter 8, verse 19. Romans is the sixth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans. turn there on your Bibles or Bible apps. And here's, here's what we see right away, is that Paul starts and a great place to start, at the very beginning of time. Verse 19, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. By the will of the one who subjected it. Okay, so God created human beings. And those human beings chose to go against his will. And when they did, sin entered the world. And as we've learned before, death follows sin. And because of this, the whole world has been subjected to frustration. It's not what you and I chose, but it is our reality. Do any of us feel frustrated right now? Yeah, I know I do. I actually don't know if I've ever been more frustrated than I am right now. I'm frustrated that we've been been living in shelter in place for six months. I'm frustrated that everyone seems so angry at each other right now. I'm frustrated that there is a growing divide in our country. I'm frustrated that people's homes are burning to the ground. I'm frustrated by the racism, consumerism, and individualism I see everywhere I look. Uh, and, and then just more selfishly, I'm frustrated that I can't eat a meal inside a restaurant. I, I can't hug anyone that doesn't live with me. My son can't go to school. I don't get to see all of you every single week. I'm frustrated. And to be honest, I, I struggle to find hope right now. But even though I have a difficult time finding it, I know hope is still available. Here, here's how Paul continues. In hope, now we're at verse 21, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated. Creation itself will be liberated. Now he's shifted from talking about the beginning, beginning of time, to talking about the future. Hope that creation will be liberated. And what will creation be liberated from? From its bondage To decay. This right here, this is what frustrates us our bondage to decay. You know, I turned 36 years old last week, and as I get older, I'm becoming more and more aware of the decay of my body. I'm losing my hair, like, I can't get enough of it to comb over to block out all the bald bald spots. Um, I, I gain weight from just looking at ice cream. Things hurt that shouldn't hurt, that didn't hurt the day before. Like like I woke up on the morning of my birthday after doing nothing but sitting around and watching football the day before. Literally nothing else. I just sat and watched football. And for some reason, my Achilles tendon was on fire the next morning and I could barely walk. Somehow I injured my Achilles sleeping. For all the youth involved today, this right here is what you have to look forward to. Why? Because I am, and you are, in bondage to decay. Sin brought about death, creation is dying, the whole world is decaying. What a comforting message we have today. But here's what Paul says next. Creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know we get this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Okay, so, so Paul started talk by, by talking about the beginning and, and then he talked about the future, the hope that is to come. And now, right now, he's talking about the middle. So we've got beginning, future, middle, right now. Which is interesting because so often we, we want to look at the past or dream of the future and we can oftentimes miss the present reality that we are currently living in the messy messy middle Paul said Paul says everything has been decaying since sin entered the world it's, it's not just that something in your relationship broke the whole world is broken It's not just that something in your career or education broke, the whole world is broken. Those those things that cause us pain are, are sometimes a result of the consequences of our own decisions, but for sure, all of those things that cause us pain are the direct result of something much bigger that has been going on ever since sin entered the world. It's why bad things happen to good people, why some things just don't seem to work out, why they can't have kids, why she lost her job, why he got mixed up with the addiction, why so-and-so broke your heart, why you didn't get into that college, why you don't get to enjoy school at school this year. The world is in decay. And what do we do as a result? What's our response? As Paul says, we groan. And he uses the same language in the very next verse. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Eugene Peterson puts it like this in in the message translation. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs, but it's not only around us. It's within us. The spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning, longing for full deliverance. Now, throughout the last couple hundred years of Christianity, ever since John Darby and his dispensational eschatology, which are big church words to say, his beliefs about the end times, our theology and thought on verses like what we just read and what Eugene Peterson translated have led us to believe that creation happened, sin entered the world, and every, everything since then is moving toward Armageddon and some tragic apocalypse. If, if you're like me, if you grew up in a home like like I grew up in, you read the Left Behind series and later watched, the Kirk, Cam, uh, watched Kirk Cameron on the big screen spreading this belief of some cosmic evacuation plan brought about by Jesus for those who believe in him. The problem with this line of thinking and this understanding of scripture is that it tends to get very individualistic and egocentric. I mean, you may have heard people say in the midst of suffering, maybe even since the pandemic, something to the effect of, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come save us, which aren't bad things to hope for, except that what these sentiments are communicating is a desire to be personally removed from the brokenness of the world. It's not so much about save us, it's about save me. And it demands no harmony or community with anything except me, my well-being, and my salvation. You know, when people have asked me if I think that what we're going through in the world right now are signs of the end times, I usually respond with something like, maybe, maybe. I'm not God, I don't know, but I actually hope not because there are a lot of people who have yet to step into the redemption and reconciliation of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. You know, hoping the end comes so that I will be saved, rescued, safe, and secure takes, takes the good news of Jesus and cuts it down to what Jesus can do for me personally with no regard for those whom Jesus has called us to love and invite into relationship with Him. It takes our groaning with all of creation, like Paul writes here, and just makes it about my groaning, my suffering, and my pain. Now, what if, what if entering into relationship with Jesus isn't about Him fulfilling me personally someday, but rather entering into the redemptive and restorative work of Christ with Christ right now. When we view things from that perspective, the why questions we ask in the middle of suffering, the context and purpose and dot connecting we are looking for, they don't go away. But they actually become a bit more attainable. When my suffering or frustration isn't just about me and what I'm dealing with, and it becomes about us. You see, Jesus pushes us toward a life that not only experiences redemption, but takes part in bringing about the redemption of all of creation. Not only experiences reconciliation, but but takes part in reconciliation on the cosmic level. It moves us toward peace, harmony, and relational compassion with everything and everyone we come across because it's not just about my adoption into sonship or the redemption of my body or me getting into heaven. It's about the hope of Jesus Christ for all of creation. This this is the hope we can choose to live while we're stuck in the messy middle. In the beginning, sin and death entered the world. In the middle, we work with Jesus and we have hope for the future, for what God will do, that all things will be made new and right for. In this hope, we were saved. Paul goes on. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Have you ever seen a, a post uh, of a video on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, whatever else is out there, um, TikTok, is that a thing? Uh, with the, that, I know what TikTok is, that makes me sound older than I am. Uh, w- w- have you ever seen a post with the caption, wait for it, wait for it. When you see a video with that post, with that caption, what do we do? If you're like me, you watch the entire video, you wait patiently with joyful anticipation because we think that the guy who is doing something dumb on that video is gonna get what he deserves. Or the cat is going to hurt itself, which is fine because cats don't have souls. Dogs do, cats don't. Or or, or we watch because we think something good is going to happen at the end. I'm sure I'm gonna get some cat-loving emails uh, later this week. But for followers of Jesus, if you took a video of our life, the caption on that post would be, wait for it. But it wouldn't be a video of us just sitting, sitting around twiddling our thumbs Because waiting doesn't mean passivity or inaction. There is progress in our waiting because we actively pursue the redemption and reconciliation for creation that extends beyond ourselves. Waiting does not mean passivity. But we also have to know that activity does not mean the elimination of frustration. It reminds me of how Paul talks about pregnancy in this passage. A pregnant woman is is waiting for the joy of her baby to be born. She has hope for what is to come and there's a lot of activity. The baby's growing, the mom's stomach is growing, things are changing and shifting. And if you've ever been around a pregnant woman, you know that frustration also grows the further along she gets in her pregnancy. I mean, think about all that exists at the same time for a pregnant woman. Anticipation for her child grows as her stomach grows. And her her suffering and frustration grow. And with that, her patience grows. I should probably end that illustration there because I don't have any credibility at all when speaking to the experience of pregnancy. Um, Paul really didn't either, but from what I've heard from the women in my life, this analogy that Paul uses does a great job of describing what is all present together at the same time. Joy and frustration, hope and pain, patience and suffering, they all coexist. So it is with us. We actively wait, even in our suffering, even in our groaning, even when we don't have the why or the context or the purpose or the dots that are connected. We have a joyful expectancy in a God who is above all, in all, and through all. But that's not always easy, is it? It's not always easy to see the groaning of creation, the pain around us and remain patient and hopeful and actively pursue the life God has for us right now. Waiting is difficult. Waiting is hard. Now I was gonna use a, a Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker song here, uh, but it's Youth Takeover. And so I tried to find a song that fit today a little better than the waiting is the hardest part. And I couldn't do it. Like I was reminded again, how out of touch I am with youth culture. The most relevant example of a song I could think of was, was Mumford and Sons' I Will Wait. And I'm 95% sure that Mumford is not cool anymore. Regardless though, waiting is hard. Hopefully we can get some of the students later to tell us what is cool. Anyway, waiting is hard. So what about when we get tired of waiting? What about when waiting gets just so exhausting? I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. Here's what Paul says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. All right, there are some, some big church words in there. But have you ever experienced or, or been around so much pain and suffering that, that you don't even know what you ought to pray for? I know I have. But here's something that I think will help. In the Jewish tradition, the name for God, Yahweh, was a name that was breathed more than it was said. When you speak these four Hebrew letters, Yod, Hey, Vav, He, The sound closely resembles the human breath. Yod, hey, vav, hey. It imitates our own inhaling and exhaling. So every time we breathe, we are speaking the name of God. As Pastor Steve taught us last week, the Greek word that Paul chose for the Holy Spirit here in Romans chapter eight is pneuma. And pneuma means breath. And here Paul is talking about the Spirit interceding for us through wordless groans. And defined, a groan is a deep, inarticulate sound in response to pain or despair. So another way we could look at groaning is is a deep, pain breath. A couple months ago, I was visiting my, my parents in San Diego with my son Jericho, and And we were about to make s'mores on their outside fire pit. And I I asked Jericho to to run inside and and grab the chocolate because I don't even know why you would eat s'mores without chocolate. And and on his way inside the house, he slammed his his toe into a brick. And after he did, there was was just a lot of blood, a lot of tears from both of us. And as I I held him in my lap and I put pressure on his toe, I tried to calm him down. Jericho was, was groaning. He had that big sob going where, where he couldn't really catch his breath. Have you ever heard a kid do that? Where it's <gasps> just over and over. So I just hugged him. And I said, Jericho, just, just breathe with me, bud. In, out. Breathe with me. In, out. Jericho was, was able to calm down and I just, I just sat there holding him for a little while. And what I realized is that I interceded for Jericho. I helped him breathe when he couldn't catch his breath, which is exactly what the Holy Spirit does in our groaning as well. Our groaning, our pain, our suffering reveals our deepest longings and wordless aches. But when we groan, every breath can and should be a reminder, should serve as a reminder that the Holy Spirit, the pneuma, the breath is praying in us and through us on our behalf. If you're frustrated right now, If you look around and you see the decay of creation, the groaning all people experience, try the spiritual discipline of breathing this week. Pay attention to your breath and understand that you are breathing the name of God. Because the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. This week, as we continue to see the hurt and suffering within us and around us, and youth that are joining this week, as you see the hurt your friends are experiencing, the frustration you notice in your parents that I'm sure you, you had nothing to do with, the pain your generation is experiencing right now, let's all allow our breathing to remind us of the hope that we have and the part we get to play in showing and bringing that hope. To allow our breathing to remind us that our hope is not just for us, but for everyone who takes a breath, for all of creation, we know that what happened in the beginning is still causing groaning and frustration, but there is a future that gives us hope here in the middle, in our waiting. God is with us. Every breath we take is an indication of this. It doesn't always give us the answer to our why questions while we're living in this messy, messy middle, but it is what we hope in and trust. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Right there is where we will pick up next week. But before we get there, I've asked some of our youth and youth team to help us unpack a little bit more of this text from their perspective. Well, hey everyone, I am joined by some of our youth and some of our youth team, and I wanna introduce them real quick. They're gonna, we're just gonna have a quick conversation and talk through a few things. So, this here is Josiah. Josiah, what grade are you in? I'm a senior. Senior yeah, at,
1: at LHS, Livermore, at High, Livermore
0: School. High School. And uh, this is Sienna. Hi Sienna guys. is our volunteer Brentwood youth pastor. How long have you been serving in that role for?
2: Um. Probably about three years.
0: Three years, and but you're yeah. you're a college student right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three years, volunteer at Brentwood, and she's killing it, which is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> and then um, this is Todd, and he just kind of hangs out.
3: I just uh, I'm not sure what I do. Really, <laughs> I don't know why I'm Todd here.
0: is our Todd know, is I'm our uh, youth pastor and uh, oversees the Livermore campus, but also helps steer and direct the whole youth ministry across all of our campuses. So we're going to have a conversation about Romans eight. That we just kind of talked through, and and I wanted to get some of their perspective for their generation, for their culture, what what youth and students and high school, middle school, college age, what 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 what's everyone going through? So we're gonna start with you, Sienna. Okay. And I just want to ask, what uh, what is some of the suffering? What's some of the pain? What's some of the groaning that you see going on right now?
2: Uh, right now, especially looking in uh, youth ministry. There's a lot of emotional suffering Um, in this world. I feel like a lot of us, um, they feel like we're alone and they can't talk to anyone. And so it's just emotional. And it's all of these things running through their heads, like with, with all of social media and just being filled up with the lies. Um, I just feel like most of the suffering is emotional and it's pain and it's, um, it's, it's, I just, hard you know it's hard life that that everybody's going through but I feel like it's mostly just emotional especially in this COVID time and staying at home and and not going to school not being around their friends and just like um it's a weight you know
0: How, how are you seeing them cope with that right now
2: um right now I feel like it's it's trying to um fit in and because um, if, if they look like everybody else, if we act like everybody else, then maybe I'm gonna feel like everybody else. And, um, and it's not what we should be doing. You know, it's, it's, it's um, being there for each other, being open with each other. But I feel like a lot of us are just hiding in a way and um, just trying to pretend like everything is fine. And then maybe I'll feel that way. You know, yeah. that's kind of what I see.
0: No, that's good. Uh, Josiah, what about, what about you? What, what's some of the frustration? What, what frustrates you? Maybe what frustrates oh, wow. your friends?
1: What well, doesn't frustrate no, <laughs> you? Um, well, f- what recently frustrates me a lot is when people don't have an open mind, when they're not open to change or open to things changing. And I think that's super important right now, especially in these crazy times, to be flexible and to be open to change. And honestly, just to be listening to each other. Because communication is key, especially right now where everyone feels so isolated and feel social distance that we have to be, um, that we're listening to one another and we're talking to one another and we're keeping the conversation going. So, yeah.
0: Do you see that a lot within your your generation? Like, do are people having a tough time communicating with one another in sincere and honest ways or is it more just like a generational gap
1: or both? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, but I think partially, specifically for my generation, I think in the time where we're at home a lot, social media is something we cling to. And so it's really ironic because, you know, social media is meant to connect people and to meet new people. But I think it can do the opposite and it can do harm sometimes. And people can feel isolated or alone and feel like, okay, like, sure, I'm Snapchatting my friend, but do I really feel connected to them? Am I having conversations or are we just talking, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: That's you kinda like to... sorry. Oh, no, it's kind of like, <laughs> like streaks, you know how like oh, people on absolutely. Snapchat they send a picture back and forth to get the little fire emoji. And does anybody really care about that? No, no they don't feel yeah. connected. They don't talk to one another. It's, it's just it's to, to, just the the to get going. that number going. Yeah. Sorry. I literally
0: have no clue what you're
2: talking about. <laughs> no, we know. <don't. laughs> it's, it's Snapchat. It's, yeah, it's Snapchat.
0: <laughs> um, no, that's great. I think I think what's what's interesting is is how much like that's why I even asked the coping question earlier, is I feel like that's where you go and that's where you learn how to fit in right is Mm. what are you seeing and Mm -hmm. what's everyone else's highlight reel what's the trend right now yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good yeah todd what about you as you i mean you've been how long you've been working with students
3: um at cornerstone for the last uh two and a half years but Overall, I've been working with students for 12 years now. So uh, really seen a lot of changes in student ministry and the way that we do it, and even the way that we refer to it. You know, So there's just been so many changes throughout the years. But I think with what both Sienna and Josiah have said, I, I totally see that when it comes to our, our middle schoolers and our high schoolers and just what they're going through. That isolation, that piece of, you know what, as long as I make things look good on the outside, but don't actually let anyone in, um, I'm not gonna trust anyone. I'm not gonna let people into my real issues. And so in doing that, they've created such a barrier to um, really just isolate themselves even more into it because they're not allowing anyone into that. And, and I think a lot of it is because they just don't, haven't found people that they've trusted or have shown interest in wanting to connect with them, which uh, breaks my heart, right? As the youth pastor, we, we desperately need loving, caring adults that are willing to take that step and go, hey, maybe I don't know everything about youth culture. Maybe I don't understand all the little things, but I'm willing to put myself in a situation where I can pour into a, the life of a middle schooler or high schooler. And I think that that makes a huge difference in their life. I mean, I, I hope it's made a difference in your
0: Heck life. yes. Yeah, right? <laughs> I think that's what's, what's interesting about what you just said is, is I think we all we have this understanding of youth culture that you know they're always attached to their phones, and if they just right. got away from their phones, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't do X, Y, and Z, or they'd feel this, this, and this more. Right. But what you said there is, who's given them a reason to trust mm. to the point that they would open up and listen? And gosh, like that's a whole new perspective that I don't think we take into consideration very often. So.
3: Yeah, absolutely, I think that the the thing that our generation and the generations kind of ahead of us. Um, need to understand about youth is that they're just wanting you to believe in them. They're wanting the next generation, the generation ahead of them to believe in them, to care about them. I feel like they're being told from every angle, like, man, our future isn't looking good. Mm -hmm. And and they're taking that going, well, so what's wrong with me? And instead of being believed in, being cared about and saying, you know what, we are in your corner, we're for you. And we want to show that by showing up in your life. And I think that makes a difference for anyone in middle school and high school knowing that the generations ahead of them have their back.
2: Yeah. That's a,
0: that's a great question, Todd, um, that you brought up right there. I mean, you answered it, so you don't get to talk anymore. Okay, but all right. right. hear <laughs> no, you're now. done. No, what, <laughs> what, do you, what would you guys say, you or the students you work with or your friends or whatever, what, what do you need from the church? What do you need from the generations that have gone before you that are in the church?
2: I don't know if you had something. Yeah, sure, I yeah, mean, I will uh, go.
1: We'll go. Um, wow, I mean, that's a big question. But to break it down, I think my generation specifically, I'm thinking I'm Gen Z, right? Yeah, just my generation, the younger generation, is to have our voices heard and to be given a chance. And I think there's a lot of assumption that goes into older generations just assuming, oh, you know, they're always on their phones, they don't care, they don't have any interest in helping out in society or or, or for the future. But I think having our voices heard and giving us a chance to to have a conversation or to be in the conversation. Mm. Um, and that's really important. that leads to like being inclusive and having everyone involved. And I think that's really important. That's huge. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something, it kind of ties in with what you said and also with what you said, but, um, one thing that's definitely changed my life, um, and made me want to help in youth ministry was, um, the mentors in my life. And the people that poured into me and believed in me and showed me that I can do this and that I can make a, a difference in this world, those are the people um, that that kind of got me out of that way of thinking that I'm alone, that nobody understands me, that that I'm going to go through the suffering and I'm going to put up these walls and I'm going to do all this. But those are the people that said, like, you can talk to me. Like, I'm there for you. And I think that's one of the things is, like, um, being a leader and also just mentoring and, and say, like— Who's the person that you're sh- pouring into? Mm. If it's if it's through f- your finances, helping the people uh, to do that, or yourself, if you have time, like be a mentor, show these kids that they're not alone. And because um, and they're not trying to do this alone. They don't want to feel alone in this because um, suffering alone is w- worse than like the suffering itself, I feel like. Mm. But yeah.
0: That's good. Well, you know, we... First of all, thank you guys so much for taking the time just to to teach us and teach our church. It's important that we hear your voices and what you have to say and what you're experiencing. And I think it's interesting when we read the Psalms and what David writes so frequently, he talks about the generations to come. And I think oftentimes we miss that in our responsibility within the church and how we're not just leaving a legacy about us. We're leaving something for the folks, the young men and women that are coming up, and are, aren't just the future of the church, but are the church mm. right now. That's good. And so I love that. that and so, me up right there.: um, Yeah. as much as you can, get engaged, get involved with someone who is younger than you, who needs to know that you're for them, that you're with them. And Josiah, will you will you pray for us?
1: Yeah, for absolutely. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for what you've done so far um, in changing society and changing the world. And I pray for the people of Cornerstone and the people who are listening to this message right now. Um, that you will touch their hearts and their spirits and they'll feel something and say, wow, you know, I I think I'm going to help out. I'm going to mentor someone from the younger generation. And I feel that keeping the conversation going is so important. And so I pray that as I speak these words, that those people who are listening right now, that they'll go and they'll help out and they'll feel loved and that they can um, help out our younger generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, thank you guys again for being here. Appreciate you. Thanks for who you are and, and what you do and the way you're caring for your generation and the generations to come. And uh, yeah, what a great week. Thanks everyone that was involved. We love you. If you're working with students, with our youth, if you're a volunteer, thank you so much for investing in the next generation and pouring into young men and young women that, like we heard today, don't want to be alone in their suffering and their pain and their groaning or their joys or, or patience or whatever else they're going through. So Um, we love you. We're grateful for you to our students and our youth. We love you. We're so glad you're you. And uh, that's all we got for this week. Have a good one.